Welcome to the Newman Church Podcast. Wherever you are in the world, we are so glad you, you've joined us. Our prayer is that this message will reveal more of who our Heavenly Father is as we grow deeper in intimacy with Jesus. Enjoy the message. I feel the Lord wants me to touch on something different. Because one of the key things, when there is a move of God's Spirit, how many know that the enemy will do whatever he can to disrupt that? Right? He is a fire quencher. He wants to shut down the fire of God. Lynn and I have been part of several revivals. In fact, we've even um, been used by the Lord in, to a certain degree to see things break open spiritually, mostly in America, but even when we came here two years ago in August of 2022 and we were speaking at Revival Conference um, that Sunday, that was what we call Super Bowl Sunday. That's when there was a genuine move of God that happened that was just very powerful. And we were privileged to be part of that and, and helping add some fuel to the fire through our ministry and impartation. And, and I say that because it's true that, yes, the Lord is the God of revival, but he uses a people. And he has given to us all a responsibility. And so I want to just have you look at with me in the book of Leviticus, chapter 6. And I know that's like, oh, Leviticus, yeah, that's, yes. It may be the first sermon you've ever heard from Leviticus. But um, I want to remind you here something as well. While you're going over to Leviticus 6, you know, this is the passage where it says that Christ loved the church, Ephesians 5, Christ loved the church, gave himself for her. Aren't you glad that he gave himself? You are part of the church. And it says, why did he give himself? That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself. A glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So Jesus, I believe, is doing an amazing work in that he is um, preparing us for the greatest outpouring of his Holy Spirit, the greatest um, move of God in harvest and seeing people come into the kingdom, family members that you have, and maybe are backslidden, that are prodigals, friends, whatever it may be. I'm telling you guys, this is the heart of the Father. He wants to bring in his children into the kingdom. And anything that does not focus on that um, is actually, it, it's really quite, quite, falls short significantly of his will. So let me say this, that Satan is a master distractor. What he wants us to do is to focus on things, issues, putting out fires, um, you know, even in our own walk with the Lord, that, that we get to a place where we're discouraged, and we give up hope, we become disillusioned at times. And I wanna just share with you, that's ultimately, we all struggle, we all have to process things, it takes time, we're all different in how we, we deal with things. But I wanna just let you know that no matter what you have gone through um, in life, no matter what you're going through now or will go through in the future, that we've got to keep our eyes on him. And and I can tell you that the fear of God is making a massive comeback. God is doing an amazing work in the church. 
And when you study history and you look at how God's been moving, he's ultimately doing something that's taking us from glory to glory, from strength to strength. That's what he's up to. And there's, there's so much I could say about that. But I want to encourage you that every one of us is being refined. Okay? Uh, every one of us is in the fire and God is wanting to refine us. The Bible says in John 15, Jesus was speaking. He said this, that every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that will bear more fruit. Not the branches that are not bearing fruit or the branches that are bearing fruit, he prunes. Now, a grapevine, they, if it's left alone, the branches can grow three meters. But what happens? Basically, no fruit. When it's pruned, they prune it back to, you know, less than two centimeters. And it's at that point, after cutting off all the excess, uh, all that is extraneous, that it be bears fruit. So every one of us is being pruned. Now, we have, a, we really have a responsibility to submit to what the Father's doing in our lives. I don't know about you, but the more I follow Jesus and, and I'm intentional to look to him, to put my eyes on him, honestly, I, I really seldomly look at man anymore. And, and I just don't, because why? I've seen it. I've been there. I mean, I, I've, we've been part of so many different things, and I can tell you that we've seen the enemy come in and disrupt what God was doing. We were part of a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. People were coming, visiting. It was on the media, and the enemy came in and just disrupted it through gossip, through division, through people who, who just contaminated what the Lord was doing. And we felt like the glory of God leave. It was crazy. And, and then we began to pray into it, like, what's going on? What's going on? And the Lord spoke to me, and he said, well, you've got to guard what I've begun. And there's a scripture, I think it's in 2 Timothy 2, Timothy 1, it talks about guarding what has been entrusted to you by the help of the Holy Spirit. In the Greek, it speaks of a treasure or a deposit, and the idea is that we have to guard that. There is a sense. See, the Bible says in, in Jude, I think in there's only one chapter in Jude, but it actually says, I think it's verse 21, it says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. And it speaks about praying and building up, praying in the Spirit, building yourselves up in the most holy faith. Keep yourselves in the love of God. So if God loves us, how do I keep myself in the love of God? Well, that word keep is a military term. That means to guard by keeping your eye on something. It speaks of a century. It speaks of someone, a sentinel, a guard. And the idea is anything that would try to disrupt our relationship with him, anything that would come in the way. And so it's very important that we stay focused on Jesus in this day more than ever. Because what I believe has happened prophetically is we've come to a place in the body of Christ where we've seen God do certain things, pour out his spirit, um, you know, restore the gifts, restore the fivefold, that kind of thing.
but we've made it, unfortunately, the emphasis in many ways, even though we've said things to the contrary, preached to the contrary, worshiped, you know, Jesus, be, have the place of preeminence and everything, is there's still been a place where God is saying, no, I'm not going to share my glory with anyone. I heard that so clearly the past several days. I will not share my glory with any man, with any woman. And what is he's doing, guys, is going to be so powerful. But honestly, God is preparing us. And can I tell you that part of the preparation process is bringing us to a place, a reality check, where we actually have to examine where has our faith been placed? Has our faith been placed in, in ourselves? Have we stopped growing um, spiritually? Have we just kind of been coasting along, but we've not been allowing the Lord to take us to that deeper place of refining us? There are entire churches the vast majority of churches today, um, you, you're not challenged to a deeper level of consecration, holiness, and surrender. You're encouraged. You're motivated. Go through your week. Overcome. Well, he's wanting to do something in the interior. He's wanting to do something in, us, in the inside that prepares us for battle, that prepares us not for a sprint but for a marathon, a triathlon. And we are living in a day where, guys, more than ever, we have to endure. We're going to have to endure. And the scripture, Jesus said it at least twice in the gospel. He who endures to the end shall be saved. He who endures. You know, it, it talks about in Hebrews 6, about through faith and perseverance, we inherit the promises. Faith and perseverance. So, persevering, persevering. If you want to go the distance, you're going to have to keep your faith in Jesus, looking unto him, the author and the finisher of our faith, and persevere. Keep going. Keep going. You fall down. You trip. Yes. Get up. Keep going. Put your eyes on Jesus. And this is an amazing time to be alive. And as we look at this passage here in Leviticus 6, um, this is what is known as the law of the burnt offering, starting at verse 8. I'm just going to unpack this because, honestly, I wasn't planning on speaking on this. I had another sermon, but I just want to unpack this. So there's no slides because this is totally extemporaneous. So the Lord spoke to Moses saying, command Aaron and his son, saying, this is the law of the burnt offering. The burnt offering shall be on the hearth upon the altar all night until morning, and the fire of the altar shall be kept burning on it. And the priest shall put on his linen garment and his linen trousers. He shall put on his body and take up the ashes of the burnt offering, which the fire has consumed on the altar, and he shall put them beside the altar. Then he shall take off his garments, put on other garments, and carry the ashes outside the camp to a clean place. Verse 12, and the fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it. It shall not be put out. It shall not be put out. And the priest shall burn wood on it every morning and lay the burnt offering in order on it. And he shall burn on it the fat of the peace offerings 
a fire shall always be burning on the altar. It shall never go out. So three times here, he's saying the fire shall never go out. So let's just be clear that revival, as we have experienced in many places today, has fallen short of this because it's ebbed, flowed, it's waned, it's diminished, it's even completely dissipated at times. And we've not experienced that. So we've been obviously coming from North America, seeing some amazing things, Toronto, Brownsville, all these things. And what happens uh, in many of these revivals, of course, is they last for several years, that's awesome. But what happens is it stops. And what is now um, happening in many of these places is, is honestly pales in comparison, pales in comparison. And it's not what it was at all. The people aren't there. The glory isn't there like it once was. And I'm not saying there's not a presence of God, but I'm saying it's not what it was. And I want to encourage you today that the will of Jesus is that we go from glory to glory to glory to glory until his return. And that's not just for some, you know, amazing ministry. That's the new normal. Remember during COVID, the new normal? Come on, we rebuke that lie in Jesus' name. The new normal is the restoration of the glory of God that doesn't wane, it doesn't dissipate, but it's sustained and it actually increases. But in order for that to take place, there's a few things that need to happen. Notice this text talks about the law of the burnt offering. Of all the different offerings that are referenced, particularly here in Leviticus, the law of the, the burnt offering is unique in that it was the only offering where the entire carcass of the animal was consumed on the fire. Every other, every other offering was just part of it. So the burnt offering speaks of, an, it speaks of entire consecration. It speaks of complete surrender. In fact, when Paul said in Romans 12, verse 1, that we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, many scholars say that particular reference was actually to us being the burnt offering. Because he's saying your bodies. He doesn't just mean your physical being. The Greek word soma actually includes more than just your physical being. It speaks of our entire self, spirit, soul, and body being offered on the altar to Jesus, right? Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, with everything. And then Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, Now may the God of peace sanctify you wholly or completely. May your entire spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at his coming. We are a tripart being. We have a spirit, soul, and a body. We are a spirit that has a soul that lives in a body. Interestingly, when you, when you research uh, tripart, you know, or people that speak of, that don't know Jesus about that, they usually always put the body first, body, spirit, soul, but, or body, soul, spirit. But the scripture always puts spirit first because we are spiritual beings. And our worship is to be in spirit and in truth. Okay? So 
Our worship comes from our spirit. God created you with a spirit. And when you come into the kingdom of God, when Jesus died and rose again, what he did was he gave his life so that our spirit man would be reborn. Our spirit man would be made new. And it's, it's a work of resurrection life. We were dead. Our spirit man was dead in trespasses and sins. But Jesus came to bring us back to life again in our spirit man. One day, yeah, if we die, which unless Jesus returns one day, yeah, our body will be resurrected. But right now, Hebrews says that the spirit of just men made perfect. So our spirit was made perfect when Jesus died on the cross for us. Our soul, how we think, our emotions, our affections, our, our desires, is being sanctified. It's being, you know, conformed to the image and likeness of Jesus. But we operate from our spirit man. And the problem, guys, is can I just, can I just address it? This is a massive paradigm shift. Uh, I don't know what percentage, but I would say that the vast majority of Christians have not learned this, but yet it's so basic. We are to live from our spirit, not from our soul. We're to live from our spirit, not our soul. Doesn't mean we don't have a soul. Yes, we have emotions, of course. Yes, we have desires. We have a will. We have volition. But we are to live from our spirit, which means the spirit bears witness with our spirit, is what the scripture says in Romans 8, that we are sons of God. And what happens is from our spirit man, we live out. And when we recognize what Jesus is saying to us in the spirit man, and we begin to live from that place, it does an amazing work in us. Because there's, a, there's such a powerful thing that takes place. We are, our, our body, our emotions, our, our, our literal, um, you know, our, our physiology is connected to it all. We can't separate it. But what happens, though, is like, like the Bible says that a heart, that is joyful, it, it brings healing even to the bones. It brings healing to the bones. So you can, you can be sick, and ultimately, if your spirit is healthy, if your spirit is whole, then it will affect your emotions. It will affect even your, your physical being, your physical health. And so we live from that place. So we are called to ensure, first and foremost, that our bodies, our entire being, is the offering. It's the offering. It's the burnt offering. So if we have not given Jesus, if we're not giving Jesus, hey, I'm going through this, I'm experiencing this, Lord, I've got these thoughts, I've got this battle, you know, I've got these feelings, and, and whatever it may be, you know, sometimes we have a struggle with with even temptation or desires that are not godly, we have to offer our entire self to Jesus. We are the offering. And what takes place is when the church as individuals and collectively as his body learns to step into that place, we will see a move of God that sustains us. And, and I love David. He says, you know, the Lord is my light and my salvation. And he says, the Lord is the strength of my life. And he says, I will not be shaken. I will not be shaken. Now, he said, there are times when I feel like my heart's failing. I get that.
but ultimately, yeah, I'm not going to fall. I'm going to keep going. We might stumble, we might, we, we might struggle at times, that's normal, but we get up because our, the foundation that our life and our, our faith is built on is Jesus. And one of the things that God is doing right now in the body is recalibrating our faith to be built on the foundation of Jesus. You see, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, he said that Jesus is the foundation. And he said that no other foundation can be laid. Then he said that we have to be careful how we build on that foundation. Now, I've heard people say, and I'm sure you have, that the apostles and the prophets are the foundation of the church. Have you ever heard that? Okay. All right. If not, it's in your Bible. Okay. It's Ephesians 2.20. But it also says in that verse that Jesus is the chief cornerstone. So there are different metaphors that are used, and sometimes, you know, it, it's not contradictory. It's not like all of a sudden, oh, oh, apostles and prophets are the foundation of the church. But over here, you said that Jesus is the foundation of the church. The point is this, that can I just say my background is uh, I've, I've got a degree in theology, and my background is to really, uh, I really value interpreting the scriptures properly, Okay. And yes, I believe in apostles and prophets, okay? I know that's part of it. Jesus said, and Paul said in Ephesians 4, right? 11, he gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers until the body of Christ is fully equipped, mature, you know, the unity of the faith, et cetera, et cetera. So we're not at until yet. We still have some ways to go, so we still need the fivefold. All right, but... The scripture, when it talks about the church is built on the foundation of apostles and prophets, that particular verse is referring to the apostles that Jesus chose and appointed and the prophets that were part of the Old Covenant. In other words, the church is built on the prophetic promises of the Old Covenant that Messiah would come. He would come with his kingdom. All of the Old Testament scriptures... Point to him, not a fivefold grace. And the apostles were the ones that were used to build the church. Now, when Ephesians, 2, Ephesians was written, of course, the, we didn't have the New Testament yet. That hadn't been brought together or established. So we can't say that it refers in its entirety to the New Testament. It wasn't written yet. That canon had not yet been established. But what it does speak of is that those apostles were the ones that Jesus chose to be the foundation of the church. And we could say that, yes, he's still using prophets. He's still using apostles. He's still using evangelists, pastors, and teachers to extend his kingdom and to build the church. But that scripture is speaking of the foundation being what Jesus did. And Jesus is the chief cornerstone, which means that everything was measured from the cornerstone, right? There's a plumb line, and that plumb line is measured from the... So if the foundation is built according to the cornerstone, how true it has to be true with the cornerstone. So I want you to please recognize that Jesus is called us to be servants. Can I, can I just say some things today? 
Do you know that the word leader is not found in the New Testament? The Bible, when it does speak of leader in the New Testament, it doesn't use that way exactly. It's used negatively about those who lord it over others. The kings of this world, the Gentiles, they lord it over you. In the New Covenant, we're called, using biblical terminology, all right, we're called servants. We're called ministers, doulos and diakonia in the Greek. Okay, so we're called servants, literally means slaves, bond slaves, and we're called ministers. We, there is reference to being an apostle, obviously the fivefold, there's reference. There's reference to being a herald, some translations say preacher. Paul spoke of himself as an apostle, as a teacher, and as a preacher in First and in Second Timothy. But what I'm saying here is that of course, we're to be an example, right? That's the greatest calling and responsibility that God has given to ministers of the gospel is to, is to literally serve God's people first and foremost by your example. And the scripture tells us, can I put it this way? Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, don't become servants of men. What was he saying? What was the context of that verse? The context is there's some that say, I follow Apollos. Others were like, I follow Paul. Others are like, man, you know, Peter, he's my boy. And, and yet, they were really spiritual. We're like, well, we follow Jesus. You know, like, we're, we're, we follow Jesus. But Paul was looking at them, and he's saying, guys, there is, there is schism in the church. You're literally following men. You're following leaders. And we have that today, don't we? In many ways. Well, such and such is preaching. I'm not going to church today. Really? So can I just tell you that you've set yourself up for disappointment by doing that? Because we all have different personalities. We all have different ways, and there are people that operate in greater levels of anointing. Let's just keep it real. But the point is, we still are not to look at any man. We're to keep our eyes focused on Jesus. And when your eyes are on Jesus, and when we recognize that the foundation of the church and the cornerstone of the church is Him. Guys, can I say it? I'm not trying to be insensitive to anyone. The wind will blow. It's going to blow. Jesus talked about two different homes, houses being built. One will be built on the sand. One will be built on the rock. And he said, and when the wind blows, he didn't say if the wind blows. He said, when the wind blows, that which has been built upon the rock will stand. The foundation of Jesus Christ will stand. Come on, give him glory. So in this passage, again, I'm just preaching off the cuff this morning. So guys, uh, bear with me and kind of go here, there, everywhere. But we're, we're coming back. We're going we're gonna to land this thing here in just a moment. This passage speaks about the importance of the sacrifice. And guess who has to 
place the sacrifice on the altar. Who does it say? The priest. So in the new covenant, who's the priest? Right? Read, read Peter, Revelation. We are a kingdom of priests. Right? Kings and priests. So we are the priests. So who is responsible for worship? Your worship. Your sacrifice. Your offering. You are responsible for you. You be you. You do you. Jesus, remember John 21. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I love when the Holy Spirit speaks when you're preaching. John 21, right? Peter, Jesus, Peter, do you love me? Right? Peter had denied him three times, and now Jesus is restoring Peter. And he asks him three times, do you love me? And, yeah. So he says, yes. And then he says, okay, follow me. In other words, you do you, Peter. And then what happens, he goes, yeah, but, but what about John? What about John? I mean, like, this isn't just all about me. Yeah, it is. What about John? What is it to you, Peter, how I interact with John? If I desire that he lives until I return, which he was the only apostle that was not martyred. They tried to martyr him, by the way. You know that, right? They put him in a, a pot of boiling oil and chucked him in there and didn't do any damage to him. So they're like, what? What? what would? Let's just throw him on an island. So they threw him on the island of Patmos. And while he was there, he had received the revelation of Jesus. Woo! Our God is a little bigger than what any man can do. And I'm just saying, no matter what, God is still in control. God is still moving. He will not stop moving. He said, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Wow. He's so massive. He's so powerful. No man, no person, no, nothing can stop him. No devil. Nothing can stop him. What he wants to do. Yes, you may be excluded. You may be sidelined for a while. You know, but ultimately if you get back in the race and you repent and you come back to Jesus and do what's right and and if you, and by the way, when I say repent, let's get that straight because a lot of people think their repentance is, well, I'm doing something really evil, now I need to stop that. Yes, at times, that's certainly what it is. But the word repent, metanoia in the Greek language means to change your thinking. So sometimes what happens is our thinking disqualifies us for what God wants to do. Our thinking is like, oh, God can't do this, right? Psalm 78, it says of the Israelites, that they limited the Holy One of Israel. They limited God by their thinking. They limited God by their unbelief. They limited Him. So the idea here is that we are called to offer ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to Him. We are the burnt offering. We are the ones that are called to place the offering on the fire. And the fire 
unless it is constantly being fueled, the fire on the altar will go out. But the scripture says here, it must not go out. Collectively, yes, that speaks of God's body, the church, the bride of Christ. But individually, we have a responsibility not to let the fire go out. So how are we going to keep it burning? Sacrifice, offering, surrender, worship, obedience, greater levels of repentance, shifting our thinking. You know, I love 1 Thessalonians 5 because it talks about quenching not the spirit. Remember that? So it says don't quench the spirit. Literally in the Greek, it means don't put out the spirit's fire. So don't put out the spirit's fire. Let's just pause, seal off for a moment. What? God says to you, to me, don't put out my fire. Quench not the spirit's fire. You can put out, I can put out. His church can quench the spirit. He's given us that much authority. Yeah. And then in Ephesians 4, he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you've been sealed for the day of redemption. Don't grieve the Spirit. How do you grieve the Spirit? How do you quench the Spirit? Read the passages in its context. Ephesians 4 is all about, you know, doing things you shouldn't be doing. But 1 Thessalonians 5 is all about refusing to worship God, refusing to rejoice. Come on now. How many times uh, you don't feel like rejoicing? And like David in, in the Psalms, it actually says, you know, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. In other words, my soul is saying, I don't feel like praising him. I don't feel like worshiping him today. And David says, soul, shut up. Stop saying that. Begin to worship him regardless of how you feel and what you're going through. Rejoice and worship him anyway. That's an act of obedience and consecration. That's an offering being placed on the fire. You could go on and on. But look, think about this in the natural. There's two ways to put out a fire. By smothering it using a fire extinguisher, throwing a wet blanket on it, some non-combustible material that would suffocate a fire. So we can suffocate the fire by what? Literally throwing something on it that quenches, that grieves Holy Spirit. When we referred to the revival and how we felt like the Spirit of God just, like he's like, I'm grieved. I'm grieved, right? Ichabod, the glory has departed. I'm grieved. Look at Achan's sin. God wasn't with his people because the sin of one man, and God said, root it out, deal with it. And when you deal with it, my glory will be restored. Can I, can I say something? This is a little deep, but it's true. It's truth. God is more concerned about his name, the standards, his righteousness, his holiness, than he is in our reputation. And there are times when, yeah, he moves in his church for his name's sake to purify, to cleanse, 
There are times when God does things and we're like, God, that's full on. He's holy. He's unlike us. He's completely unlike us. He loves us, but he loves his body, his church. He loves the integrity of his glory and what he wants to do. And I've seen it happen time after time after time. I've seen it happen. But God's saying, no, no. Listen, we are in a season. We talk about prophetically there's been a changing of the guard. And so many great generals of the faith have transitioned into glory. They've done amazing things while they're on the earth. But we have a void right now in the kingdom. There is a gap, a massive gap between those that in the previous generations walked in the glory, walked in the anointing, and those that know how to do that today. Not saying that it, what happened before. No, no, there's always been issues. There's always been things that, that have been wrong. Study the generals, you'll see. But there's a place here where God's saying, I'm being serious. Don't grieve my spirit. Don't put out the spirit's fire. Let me work in your life. Stop quenching me. Sometimes it's what we say with our mouths, what we think, our attitude. Sometimes we just withdraw and we refuse to be proactive and, and in even pressing into God, praying through things. Right? We quench the spirit. Then ultimately, you can starve a fire. By how? Just doing nothing. You don't have to throw a wet blanket on it. You, you just don't add fuel. So through neglect, after a while, it burns out. Right? That speaks of our relationship with him, our time with him, guarding our intimacy with him, being in the word, being obedient, praying, checking our heart, you know, our thinking, all of that, coming into alignment so that we don't quench the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 1.6, Paul says, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying out of my hands. That word stir up means fan into flame. Fan it into flame. Stoke the fire. There are times when you know when a fire is, is dwindling and it's about to go out and you're like, oh, we have to fan it into flame. We have to stir it up. We have to take, you know, some, a stick or something and just begin to poke it. How many know sometimes we need to be poked, yeah. right? It's like, oh, that's painful. Yeah, and it's like, do I have your attention? Are you listening? You see what I'm doing? So there's a work of the Spirit that God is wanting to do in you, in me. You do you. You do you. Focus on him. Focus on what he's saying to you in your relationship with him. See, God is, has called us to that place where this offering that we, we speak of. You see, the priests had to bring the offering in linen garments. What are linen garments? Well, if you go to Ezekiel 44, you'll see that it says... 
when the priests come near me, they cannot wear anything made of wool, woolen garments. Why? Because it says that woolen garments cause you to sweat, to perspire. That's what it says, which speaks of man's effort. Linen garments throughout the book of Revelation, it's in other places, speaks of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And it speaks of the righteous acts of the saints. Not just his righteousness that he imputes to us, but it actually speaks of the righteous acts of the saints. See, people say today, and it's a false teaching, that none of us are righteous, right? No one is righteous. Quote Romans 3, Isaiah 64, 6, and we quote those scriptures, but that's speaking to those who are not under the new covenant. In him, we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. You know, all of these different scriptures. But a lot of times people will say, positionally, I'm righteous in him. But when you look at their lifestyle, they're not living a righteous lifestyle. And the Bible speaks of two types of righteousness. There's imputed righteousness, positional righteousness, that we become righteous because of what Jesus did on the cross. And when we receive what he did, we are made righteous. But then we read in other places, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. 2 Corinthians 7, 1. We see in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, it actually speaks of those who do righteousness. And it says, don't be deceived because the devil is a worker of iniquity. And those who live in sin and live in iniquity are actually living after the lifestyle of Satan. But those who do righteousness, those that live righteously, those that model a life of righteousness and holiness are actually not just positionally, but practically righteous. So he says, be holy because I'm holy. Why would he tell us to be holy if we're automatically made holy? Because you still have a responsibility to steward the holiness of God. You've been made holy by the blood of Jesus, nothing else. But now we have a responsibility to steward that righteousness. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us. There's an ongoing cleansing process that every believer has to walk in. We're made righteous. You know, Peter's like, Lord, you know, he's talking about washing his feet. And Peter's like, no, no, you know, look, like basically I have a bath. And, and he's like, no, you don't need to have a bath. He said, the person who's already been cleansed doesn't need that, but they still need their feet washed. And so the idea is we walk through the world, the contamination of the things of the world. There's still a work of cleansing that has to happen in our lives. There's a work of cleansing, renewing of the mind, renewing of the way we think, renewing of our spirit, and breaking the power of darkness and sin. We have a choice to not go there. We have a choice to not open ourselves up to the enemy. We have a choice. The Bible says, submit yourself to God. Resist the devil. He will flee. James chapter 4. We have a responsibility.
every one of us. So guys, this offering is you. This offering is me. This offering is presented with garments of linen. And God is doing something powerful in this day. He's bringing uh, the fire into our lives. I'm not, point, I'm not looking at anyone. I'm looking at me. We pray for one another. Of course, the Bible says if you see that your brother's sinning, you go to him. Yeah, I get that. But the point is, we have a responsibility now to allow what Holy Spirit is trying to do in this hour. He's trying to heal you. He's trying to change your thinking. He's trying to restore your joy. He wants, he wants to, to make a massive paradigm shift, which is that we focus on him. We build on the foundation of Christ Jesus. Be careful how you're building your life. Be careful how you're building your life. Be careful. Be careful. No matter what happens to you. I remember when we pastored in America, we had all these military guys on the church, Navy SEALs and all of them, full on. And I remember some of these guys, I mean, went it, boom, okay, gone to Afghanistan, gone to Iraq, you know? And this is happening, and it's like one of the things I, I said to them was this. I said, when you go over there, I said, you're not, have, your brothers and sisters aren't with you. What God sees, everything you do, he's with you. And your faith should be such that no matter what happens to you, if you're captured by the enemy, that your faith is strong. Your faith is strong. And Paul prayed for the church that they would stand firm in their faith. They'd not be shaken no matter what we go through, guys. We have, I'll, I'll close with this. Hebrews 12, 28 says that we have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We have a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So what foundation are we building on? What kingdom are we living in? Are we living in a kingdom that Jesus hasn't built? That kingdom cannot be shaken. I'm not trying to say you won't have challenges in life. I'm not trying to say there won't be people that are close to you that die. That's going to affect you. That's going to harm you. That's, that's going to, in a sense, that's going to affect you. I get that. But it doesn't have to destroy you. It doesn't have to shut you down. It doesn't have to paralyze you. So as we go through a season of rebuilding and we go through a season of, of moving ahead in Christ, let's really make it all about Jesus. Let's put our eyes on him, looking unto Jesus, the author, the finisher of our faith. Let's make it about him. Let's pray for healing. Let's grieve. Let's deal with the things that we need to deal with in our lives and whatever it may be. But let's look to Jesus. Can we stand, please? Let's stand, please. All right. Come on. Let's just lift our voice. We sang that name, Yeshua. Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Anointed One, Yeshua. Guys, it's His name. There's power in His name. There's power in His name. Power.
every knee will bow and every tongue confess to the name of Jesus. I was reading this morning in Revelation 5. They're looking for someone who's worthy to loosen the scroll. Can't find anyone, no one in heaven or on the earth. But then there's like, no, 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 there is one. The Lamb of God. The Lamb of God who shed his blood. Only he is worthy. Only he is worthy. Only he is worthy. He never changes. Jesus Christ is the same today, yesterday, and forevermore. He never changes. He never changes. No matter what you go through, no matter what you will face in life, he's the foundation of the church. We are servants. We're ministers. That's all we are. But we have to be careful how we build. If I built something that's not built on that foundation, the Bible says that my work will be tested by fire. What we built, if it's not built on the foundation of Jesus, it's like wood, it's like hay, it's like stubble, it's going to be burnt up. But what Jesus is building is built on gold, silver, precious stones. It's non-consumable. It's incombustible. He's so good. He's so good. Let's look to Him. Let's look to Him. If you're here this morning and you're just like, yeah, I just, just want to make that fresh surrender, that fresh commitment to Jesus. I'm not saying you're not a Christian. I'm not saying that. I'm saying you're like, hey, I want Him to be my Lord. I want Him to be the foundation of my life. That's it. I want to build on Him. I want to uproot any faulty foundation, any foundation that has been built on anything other than Him. If you're at a place where you're just like today, hey, I just need the Lord to, to strengthen me. I, I, just, I just need to begin to, you know, make that sacrifice again. I sacrifice your sacrifice, only you can make that sacrifice. Only you can take that offering and place it on the altar so the fire of God ignites it. Acceptable to Him. Come on, guys. He loves us. He loves us. He's with us. He's never left us. In fact, when you're going through the fire, when you're being purified, and there is a refiner, there's a metallurgist, an, an assayer, the one that purifies the gold. That assayer is never closer than when he's purifying the gold. He's never closer. So when you go through the fire, when we go through the fire in life, Jesus is closer. He's right there with us in the fire. He's the fourth man in the fire. He's with us. He's not left us. No matter what we go through, no matter what you're facing in your home, in your marriage, in your walk with God, in your family, no matter what you're facing in your finances, no matter what you're facing, whatever it is, the challenge may be, the difficulty, the storms will come, the winds will blow, but Jesus stands firm forever, and His kingdom is unshakable. His kingdom is unshakable. Thank you for joining us. We hope that you enjoyed today's podcast. 
and we realize that not everyone has had the opportunity to respond to the good news of the gospel. And for this reason, in all of our services and platforms, we want to extend to you the opportunity to follow Jesus. The Bible teaches us that we have been created for a relationship with God. However, sin, which is essentially disobedience, independence and disbelief, or us simply missing the mark, entered the world and separated us from God. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says that the wages of sin is death. And a debt was owed, and the Bible tells us that he, Jesus, demonstrated his love for us, that while we were still sinners, he died for us. Jesus paid the penalty for our sin. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God so loved the world that he gave us Jesus, that whoever believes in him will be saved. All that is required of anyone is that they believe in Jesus, the Son of God, who came, lived, died, and rose again so that we could be forgiven, made right, and given the right to become children of God and to have life forevermore with Him. Today, you can begin a relationship with Jesus. To believe in Him is to simply to respond with faith in our hearts and confess with our mouths that He is Lord. And we do that through a simple prayer follow along with me. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I thank you that you love me and came to forgive me of my sin. I repent from my old way of life and I turn to follow you. I receive the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you fill me with the Holy Spirit so that I can live a life of following after you. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. Amen. If you prayed this prayer for the first time, we would love to connect with you and connect you to your next step and the local church in your area. You can contact us on our website at numa.church. Thanks for listening.